welcome back, everyone. We have a very special episode, episode 63 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. We have been very busy brewing together, as we have discussed on previous episodes. And so we've got a couple of kegerators full of our beer, and I thought... Well, James thought, really. I guess I shouldn't take the credit, which is what I usually do. Um, James thought it'd be great to have another married couple who homebrews together on our show. So today we are joined by Rob and Corinne from Pratt Brewing out of Spring Grove, Illinois. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Yeah, hi. Thanks. We are so glad you're able to join us today um, and to have kindred spirits on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we will just get right into it with the heavy hitting questions. How did you both get into home brewing? So, uh, well, it started um, when we first met. We we were both into craft beer, not not brewing yet, but we were both into drinking craft beer, and that's that's really what got us, you know, talking and and started. And fast forward a little bit uh, to after we're uh, married and. We talked about, we, we just decided, actually, I, th- I think Corinne helped or thought maybe it'd be a good idea to take a brewing class. Yeah, it's something that I was like, look at brewing. And I knew that for me and how scheduled and the planning side of me, that it would be really hard for me to actually brew because I think I would be too, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Neurotic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost, almost. I was trying to not say that <laughs> Chance, like, how did I feel when James like, hey, let's, why don't you homebrew with me? I feel the same way. So that's why I chose neurotic. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I, I know I would overanalyze every little step and I think it would actually be stressful for me. So Rob does a lot of the actual hands-on brewing, but all of the recipes, creation, ideas, tasting, all of that kind of stuff we do together. So we build out our planned schedule of what we plan to brew and whatnot together. So when we took the homebrewing class, I said, I don't want to actually do it because I think I'll do it wrong or bad or <laughs> it would just be too much. So Rob ended up taking that on. And once we took the class, we both really enjoyed it. Like most home brewers, right? We started the first one with like one of the kits that you can buy at any local home brewing store. So we started with that and we did one of those. And after that, we started doing all grain on our own, kind of coming up with recipes from there on out. So your setup has clearly evolved since that first extract kit. What does your setup look like now? Are you for all grain? What do you have going on in your home brewery? So currently what we have, we, not that long ago, it's been it's been a couple of years now, I think. We upgraded to the the Spike Brewing Trio Plus system, so it's all it's got all the tri clamp valves and everything. On on top of that, we have the SS Brewtech unit tanks. We have a seven gallon and a half barrel uh, unit tank, and then we also have a glycol chiller. Ditto. We have a glycol <laughs> chiller as well. What a difference that makes, right? Yeah, no kidding. That no more a... no more coolers with all the ice in it, and very helpful. Very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Trying to lift up a full carboy into a temperature-controlled freezer and hope you don't hit it on anything. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you guys been home brewing now? You said you've been doing it for a couple years now. How long has Pratt Brewing been around? Uh, we've been brewing for four years in July. It was four years, so just a little over four years now. Okay, so you got some decent time under your belt. I, I would say so. We definitely try to brew almost every style we can, so... 
um, in those four years, we're trying to get a lot of experience with it. Mm -hmm. And so how long into that and to when you started homebrewing together, did you kind of decide, let's let's put a name to this? I think pretty early on. It happened pretty early on, but it wasn't as serious early on. It was, it was you know, those first couple batches were were those kit extract batches and and we thought it was cool to you know throw a name at it and and try and self-create you know a logo and um mm-hmm. it wasn't until probably the last two years two two and a half years that it became a little bit more serious yeah i think that was the same for us too i mean i always had a a little name to use when i was back with the extract kits but then as soon as i turned to all grain and my setup got a little bit more advanced i would say i got more serious into actually trying to fine tune a a home brewery name and i know for me at least i had a huge massive long list of names <laughs> and i w- made the mistake of going on to see if i was to register and to try and copyright the name of it would it be available and it was it came to the point where it was i don't have a fucking name was taken and i just threw my hands up in the air <laughs> and at that point i said you know what like i went by checkmate brewing and i had this clever idea that when i'd give you know my little six pack cases they would have different chess pieces on it and they would use the bottles to kind of play a game with it but she doesn't really play chess so i'm not sure where it came from yeah (laughs) yeah i I suck at chess so i don't even know where that came from but i thought it was a cool idea and that was taken so then i just went back to spice city brewing for us it's my was i was my nickname in uh in high school was spice city so i thought what a clever clever pun and story to that so pratt brewing what does that mean to you guys it's actually our last name so very creative uh, yeah right um but i it's pretty like for me it's solid like we wanted mm-hmm. when we were thinking about a name we wanted something like stone like stone brewing like we wanted like one syllable hard solid name and yeah. i was like what if we just used our last name it's pretty solid <laughs> so um it, it was easy but we both really really liked it for kind of the imagery we wanted to go with too mm-hmm. it's easy to remember too it's a not nothing that's you know too out there where you're like was that this or that or so i think yeah and we did the copyright thing too so don't worry you're not crazy there Uh, (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully illinois is a little easier and uh less expensive than in massachusetts yes 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 it is but yeah i think i think when we came up with our podcast name it was very much collaborative just like you guys with your pratt brewing and both kind of spitballing what names and we're like, oh, well, there's two of us double and then hop and like your pulse being a beat. And Shannon's like <laughs> explaining. She's like, yeah, like double hop beat. I'm like, yeah, that works. Here we are. But now we now we find when people who are like, oh, what's your podcast name? And we're like double hop beat. And they're like, how do you spell that? And we're oh, like, man. OK, oh. we're like, all right, well, we didn't go through on the whole road of. Yeah. Thinking through that much. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> so where do you where do you envision your brewing going? You said you've been trying to get a lot of experience in in those four years and doing all different styles do you think eventually you'll kind of stick to certain styles or do you envision yourself really sticking to that let's just try everything and see what comes out good it's uh it's interesting because um before we so we brewed much smaller batches in the beginning and we increased that batch size right so we do share often with friends of ours and with that demand from friends, I think is what has driven a lot of our schedule or what we what types of beers we're brewing. So it's really interesting to see right what 
the people that are asking for what they want and does that align with what we want so we right we're we're right there with the niche right we like the the good hazies right mm-hmm. so that's that's not uncommon but um we do fancy sours we used Ooh. to do a lot of sours but they're not as big of a hit with everybody right so not everybody likes sours where most people like a solid blonde or mm-hmm. Um, lager so that's an easy crowd pleaser whereas sours is more of a one-off you know every not everyone's cup of tea you can send them my way (laughs) shannon's giving me the eye right now of because i'm i I can appreciate a sour beer and i think i'm getting into it more because of shannon but i think like that's i wouldn't necessarily pick that off a menu if i was at a craft brewery you know but i'm learning and i'm getting there so (laughs) I think it's something that the more exposure you have to a beer style, the more you can kind of enjoy it. I mean, our taps right now, I was all just brewing IPAs and now I got a, we got two blondes and a pumpkin on, on tap. So Ooh. I think, I think we've definitely come a long way in that aspect. That could be a good name, two blondes and a pumpkin. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were start talking about how you're doing, you do more of the styles that majority of people like. Do you have a specific beer that you would say is like your signature or one that you keep going back to? So we usually plan out our uh, brew schedule for the entire year. So about November, right around this time, we'll plan out our brew schedule for the entire year. So if we want to hit certain release dates, when do we have to brew and kind of back schedule? Every year we, for our birthdays, we get to pick a birthday beer, right? So since we're planning it, we get to pick for your birthday month, you get to pick whatever beer we're having for that month. And so mine has always been the Mexican lager. I would say that is a staple. We have that recipe pretty down solid. We're just tweaking the hops here or there every time, but not much. So uh, if I had to say, I would say that's definitely one of our staples. What what kind of hops do you like to use in that in Mexican style lager? So with that with that lager, it's uh, it's tetanine for bittering, and then it's motueca. Uh, that is used uh, towards the end of the boil, and then also we dry hop it with that. Just a, a small dry hop, but it it really does enhance that lime aroma that you get from it, and it's just it comes out fantastic. Rob's goal is to make it so I don't have to add any lime to the beer when you pour it. So mm. we keep messing with that. <laughs> we keep messing with that dry hop. So last time we increased that a little, and I added just a smidge of lime to it. And he's like, okay, next time we'll just increase it a little bit more and we got it. So, <laughs> I have to say, I, we might have to get you, Corinne, to help us uh, get some organization and scheduling our, our brews. Ours is, we've been rapid fire here of just like, well, I have these ingredients. Uh, I know I can brew this. All right, I'm just going to brew six brews in a month. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. So I have to ask before we go on to the next question, Rob, what is your birthday beer? Mine tends to be the Hazies. So okay. we- that's one that we still ha- like. They've they've come out good and they've gotten really good feedback from the people that we share it with. But it's just one of those that I'm trying that we are trying to really nail down and and get that style. There's just there's so many factors in there that you know between the mouthfeel and the aroma and how fresh the hops actually taste in there. It's just just trying to nail down that all those characteristics. Definitely, I James is a big hazy IPA person too, so. Now, does, do you guys brew those birthday beers together, or is that kind of like a Corinne has to brew your birthday beer and you have to brew? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
No, no. Um, I think you just gave us a new idea. <laughs> oh, God. Corinne's <laughs> like, no, no. Because I'm just thinking, I might, we might have to do that, but I could see Shannon being like, well, you're brewing my birthday beer. You're going to get my birthday beer, so. Yeah, if I have my way, we making pumpkin in June, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nice thing is, so my birthday's in May, so it plays very nicely with the Mexican lager. I was going to ask you that. I was like, yeah, is this a I'm... May birthday situation? <laughs> yep. And then Rob's is in July, so it plays very nice with the hazy. So they happen to align very nicely, but. What a coincidence. <laughs> See, I think, I think ours would be good because mine would be a winter style beer because I'm in February and yeah. then you're in June. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll drink pumpkin all year round, so. Okay. I don't care what time of year it is. <laughs> She's the one who. We yeah, she, uh, Shannon had we had gone to a, we, a relative's wedding in Maine, and it was in May. In May, and they had shipyard bottles for a dollar, and Shannon was just throwing dollar I, bills down. I bought down. all of them. <laughs> I cleaned the bar out of the shipyard, <laughs> and I was just shaking my head, going, "Oh my gosh, Shannon!" And afterwards, Shannon was like, "You know, those were from like August, right?" <laughs> I was like, I don't care. It's fine. It's fine. It's, fine. it's still, it was the thought. It was I still survived. good. You survived. So you guys haven't made a pumpkin yet? No, that is one that we haven't touched. I just, we're not huge fans of them. Mm -hmm. So we feel that it'd be hard to make a good one if you're not really big into them, you know? That's so. true. Yeah. Making a beer that you're familiar with, where you like to drink it, helps you to kind of analyze, you know, critically what your beer tastes like and what you need to improve. Yeah, and just with the pumpkins, right? That's with all the spice in there. If you get it wrong, it's so noticeable. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it. I've had pumpkin beers where it's way too spicy, and somewhere you can't even taste it. So like, we'd want to be right in that middle ground, and to figure out where that fine line is, I think would take a couple brews, right, to mm -hmm. really hone in on that. Yeah, better just leave it to leave it to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh... During your brew days, I'm sure you have some memorable ones that you've had together or separate. What's your most memorable brew day that you guys can recall? So if we had to pick, I think we'd have to go with brew day number three when we first started. It was a Simcoe Pale Ale kit from Northern Brewer. Okay. And it was extract. And we were doing it on the driveway. Around this time, we were growing our own hops that were uh, Cascade and Chinook. Mm. And so we got this brilliant idea. We had already dehydrated them and had them frozen. And we got this brilliant idea. With, well, let's let's take and add some of our own hops to it and try and experiment, see how it goes. And so that was the first batch that we actually did a little bit of experimentation. And right, it wasn't much. It was adding mm -hmm. our own homegrown hops to the boil and dry hop. But it was still, it was still one of those, it was as that first experimentation for us. So it was, mm -hmm. I think that's probably our most memorable one. That taking that know. leap. I think, uh, I think today's brew is going to be in that category uh, going forward. So today we brewed with donuts and it was mm. the first time that we've ever done something like that. So I think that's something that will stick with us too, just to, you know, brew with it and see what it does. Right. Just kind of take it to the next level to see what kind of flavor it adds. Cause no one's going to tell you, Hey, you need this many donuts per <laughs> gallon right yeah yeah right you're looking online for the uh algorithm of donut to donut brew to ratio. ratio yeah so yeah it was it was fun it's just uh it's really interesting to see how those flavors play because we honestly thought it wasn't going to make much of an impact right we built the recipe anticipating to bring other flavors in to highlight the flavors we wanted but when we tasted the wort today it was very predominant 
So it, it was surprising to both of us, I think. Yeah, it was actually, it was amazing. 15 minutes in, pulled the sample for pH check and couldn't really taste them yet. But then 45 minutes in, pulled another sample. And those donuts really just, they, they started to really break down. And that flavor was actually pretty prominent. And what kind of donuts did you use? Boston creams. Oh, I was I, our neck of the woods. <laughs> right, right before. Yeah, right before Shannon asked that question, I was like, "Can I say they must have known Boston cream? They're going to be on a Boston podcast. What <laughs> uh, did they plan that? Did they plan that? Come on, how many of those donuts were eaten before it got into the mash? Is what I want to ask because they well, just look unfor- great. Unfortunately, I did not have Corinne's help in planning that, so I didn't order <laughs> extra. So I only ordered enough for the mash. So yeah, uh, I let him be in charge of calling in the order, and then when I saw what was in the fridge when we got home, I was like, "What? No extra? You didn't give me extra? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> you always got to order extra, right? Yeah, it was very sad. Rookie mistake. Next time, next time, you'll know. <laughs> well, since yeah. it was so prominent in the mash, now next time you can use the same amount and just eat eat the remainder. <laughs> yeah. That so for sure. kind of in the same vein of memorable brew, brew days, we've all had those times where things did not go perfectly. Um, what is your like funniest oh shit moment? Or I don't know, maybe it's not funny, but what is your what is your biggest like oh shoot during a brew day? Are you in the peanut butter? Yeah. Oh, okay. Goodness. <laughs> I feel a great story coming on and I know Shannon would have a different story than I would because she might find one funny where I found it not so funny and vice versa. So go ahead. I think we I think we both found it comical cuz we it came out okay in the end, but um we were doing a peanut butter stout. Milk mm. stout, right? Yeah. yeah. And we de-oil our peanut butter. And we've done it before. This was like the third or fourth time we've we've done it. Not your first yeah. rodeo. So- yeah we we get how to do it we know the process so it wasn't uncommon for us to do it so we we go through this process of de-oiling the peanut butter and it's it's this really really technical process of of spreading the peanut butter out on some paper towels in a in a pyrex dish and letting it kind of soak out and, and, and dry out over you know about a week or so so we've done it before and it it came out amazing and so the first time we did it it was a it was kind of a chocolate peanut butter milk stout we were doing mm-hmm. and came out like a Reese's. I mean, you would, you take a sip and like immediately reminiscent of a Reese's and it was, it was great. And that's been our go-to method for peanut butter ever since. So on this one, we ended up getting, I don't even remember how we got it, but we ended up getting a different brand of peanut butter than what we used to use. And it de-oiled for like, I think four or five days longer than we typically do. So didn't think much of it. And we added it to the stout. And after a few weeks, we pulled a sample of it and we smelled it. And oh, you know, it smells, smells great. It smells like nice, rich peanut butter. And we took a sip and our eyes almost bugged out of our head because it had this lactic sourness to it almost that it should not have been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It smelled better than it tasted. And mm. we're like, oh God, what what do we do with this? Like, we we just both looked at each other and like, do we dump it? Right. <laughs> like, right. You hate to do that. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Like, we're like, do we dump it? Do we keep it? I'm like, I'm not drinking that. And we're like, okay. So we kind of sat on it for like a little bit. Like we went to bed, woke up the next day and we kind of talked about it some more. And I don't know who came up with it. If it was me or you, or maybe it was you. I don't remember. But um, we both were like, 
why don't we add a flavoring of fruit and make it peanut butter and jelly to play off of that soury tang? And it actually turned out pretty good. So as long as you know it's peanut butter and jelly stout, that's what it tasted like because you already had that sour. Happy accidents. Yeah. So um, we learned from that one, but we we turned it around a little bit. Yeah, I'm glad you have to dump that because that's always a heartbreaker. Oh, isn't it? Yeah, you almost almost shed a tear when you do that. (laughs) Yeah, we we recently had a beer go to the the beer graveyard. So James James is a little upset. He uh, he really tried to to salvage it, and I said it's not possible. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still crying over it. I'm still crying over it. As he's I like, I think it. it might just be the like the hops or something. And I was like, no, this has something else going on. And it's not just me <laughs> saying that this IPA, like, because I'm not a big IPA person. So I was like, it's just, it's not just me not liking it. There is something funky. Yeah, in it this didn't beer. pass my standards either. It had the, it was, it was a Simcoe only smash recipe that I was trying to get a 4.1% pale ale IPA combo, and it was hazy. And everything was great about it, except when it was in the keg, it clogged the dip tube. I'm sure you guys have come across that with IPAs from time to time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I tried every trick in the book to kind of salvage it and try and save it. And I think that's what ended up dooming it because it tasted fine. The mash was tasted fine. Everything was great. I hit my numbers out of the fermenter. It tasted great. And then once I carbonated it and tried to actually pour it into our kegerator uh, to serve it, it just wasn't pouring. It just wasn't coming out. So I tried, you know, sanitizing the dip tube, retaking that out was the last thing I did. I tried uh, using the trick of putting the CO2 and trying to purge, flush the dip tube out. And I think that just did it in. I think it was just too much for that tiny beer to handle. Yeah, it had this kind of like public pool it had a, taste. To yeah, it. to be, yeah, straight up. It just did not, it wasn't even a debate. We just looked at each other and just said dump. I mean, it, luckily, it was only five gallons. So yeah, it just took a while for him to actually get to it because he was kind of like, "I'm like, if, the longer it. you have it, it's not going to get better. <laughs> like, yeah, you just no. got to do it." Yeah, it went from like an overly bitter flavor to where then I've read like sometimes you just have to let it settle for a bit, let it calm down, do its thing, and then it might even out, no. and then it turned into something totally different. So morphed. So yeah, it morphed. It morphed into something that we did not like. R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> We had one not, I don't remember time frame, probably a couple of years ago, but we tried to make a maple pecan brown ale. And we're big advocates on using real products and not right getting syrups or yep. enhancers or anything like that. So we try to use the real. So we were going to use real pecans. And so we brewed the beer and it came out great, great color. And we added these pecans to it and let that sit for a little while and we pulled the sample of it and it went from like a nice deep brown color to like this milky it almost looked like like if you have the Reese's Puff cereal mm-hmm. the milk afterwards yep kind of looked like that hmm. that's appetizing I'm not sure what happened but it was just so unappealing and that was one we also said well uh goodbye we're gonna dump did you how did you add the pecans was it like ground up or what was they were they were smashed up but we we uh, tried roasting them a little bit to mm. uh get that oil out of yeah, it. Yeah, so I wonder if that oil really yeah. did come all the way out or something. Yeah, and I've I've heard the trick is blanching them, but I'm not familiar with that process. Yeah. So they're very oily nut. <laughs> yep. And then we tried to transfer it too, didn't we? And then we had to use the filters and that was a hot mess. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, it was bad. That was not right. My first too. foray into a plate filter, and it just did not work very well at all. <laughs> <laughs> leaking tubes. I mean, leaking oh. out the side of it all over the floor. Homebrew pandemonium, as I call yeah. it. Hand, all hands on deck for sure. Yeah, Corinne, I think, had to actually step out of the room for that one because she just could not handle it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this was when our brew was still semi upstairs. Oh, yeah. yeah. So our brew is now set up in our basement. And so it's got its own corner and everything. It's got, it's all laid out and organized, but this is, was early stages. So we were still, you know, in between the kitchen and the, where the, our kegerator was. Mm -hmm. So it was in between there. And so it's all over our kitchen floor. The dogs are trying to eat oh, it. I, it was a mess. I was like, I gotta go. I can't, I can't watch this. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Now you guys mentioned dogs. Have you tried making dog treats out of your spent grains or do you just, we have. Okay. Yeah. Um, it went well. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's easy, but, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that we want to do again. We actually just saved the grains and froze them from a couple of brews ago that, we would like to do it again, but we've done it before. That's a good idea. I didn't think about freezing them because whenever James is like, oh, do you want to do this? I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have time, like what, before they go bad. So I, that's always the, that's yeah. always the catch. It's like a mad dash and mm -hmm. we have a two-year-old son, so there's no mad dashes for us yeah. to do anything. So if, if I can't save them somehow, then we, we're not doing it. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. I'll I'll have to remember that next time. James. Yeah, I, I can imagine there's not too many uh, pig farms out in uh, Illinois that's close by to your house. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there is a farm down the road, but we uh, we haven't actually made the effort to try and talk to them and see if they'd be interested. But one of these days, maybe. I do have a friend at work that has a pig. So I did ask her. I said, do you, can I just throw these over? Like, is that, <laughs> she's like, I can give you my address. He'll eat it. And I was like, yeah. this might be an option. Might be an option. Yeah. We use the uh, Home Depot or Lowe's buckets with the lids and we just put it in that, seal it. And the, they usually come and pick up uh, the buckets with the spent grains for us. If we don't, if we don't make dog treats, but. That's really nice. I want to get on that program. Yeah. <laughs> It's just because, right, like those spent grains, if you do have to dump them like in your yard or it's just the smell after like a day, it's just so overpowering. Yeah, they get rancid real quick. Yeah, not pleasant. <laughs> so being married is hard enough as uh, Shannon, Shannon can laugh over there uh, and just working together and trying to be on the same page and be a good team. What's the most difficult part for you guys of homebrewing together and having the Pratt Brewing. Well, so something we should probably add into this is we, our full-time jobs, we work together too. Oh my so God. Do you ever get apart? <laughs> Where, where's that scary sound, uh, Shannon? Cue it oh up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So we, we don't communicate all the time. Like um, where, where we work, we're not having interactions all the time. So we're not okay. working together, <laughs> but we work at the same place. But when we homebrew together, I think something that I really, we really, I should say, honed in on is the communication so the planning side of it mm -hmm. and communicating what do we need in order to brew what do we have to get in advance so there's been a couple times where we didn't have enough yeast and so then we paid expedited shipping for yeast and I'm like I'm gonna murder you because <laughs> there's no point to this <laughs> so we've had I, that was my big thing is we have to communicate on what we need what we need do to be prepared for brew day and what does that brew day look like so like I mentioned before we have a two-year-old so yes making sure we have someone to watch him or making sure that we don't need to be doing anything that day in order mm -hmm. to get all stars aligned. Yeah, we uh, have a nine-month-old daughter, so it's 
same. Oh, you get it. Same get idea. It. Making sure that we, someone's around or one of us, you know, if James wants to brew that I'm free to, to manage her. So definitely yeah. get that part of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's that communication side of it is just making sure that you have that covered. Mm-hmm. And so when you guys are planning out your brew days for the year, do you usually agree on what you'll be making other than your birthday brews or do you have to like settle a debate like one person wins over the other how do you how do you do that i think they're pretty we're pretty aligned i mean we brew about every three weeks three weeks or so so um that's a lot of brews in a year and Mm -hmm. i I, if you look at it from a year perspective right if i'm like oh i know i want to do a sour and he's like i know i want to do an amber so we kind of find what season that mm-hmm. would fall really nicely into. So I think the only time we have to rock, paper, scissors over anything is probably like if we're trying to squeeze in an extra brew here or there or like the final one of the schedule. We try to, you know, I think the last time we scheduled it, there was a couple we were torn between that we wanted to fit into there. And we didn't we didn't do any. We did one sour this year, I believe, is it. And so for me, I was like, oh, I wish we could have done more. But we know it's not right. It's not the biggest crowd pleaser. It would be a small batch brew, anyways. No, we're usually we're usually pretty aligned on it. And like we talked about earlier, we by no means are we experts in any of these these styles yet. So we're trying to to really get some experience with each, with brewing each style and and what goes into it and and what are the characteristics of it and just trying to get that experience in our in our back pocket, you know. And the nice thing I feel like once we get that experience, then we can start really tweaking it and having more fun. I think. This past year, we brewed a lot of basics, right? We did a lot of, our next brew is a black lager. We've done an amber, browns, a blonde ale. So we've done really basic beers um, to be able to do them well. And so I think going forward, it'll be nice to kind of start to tweak those and have more fun with them. Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a great approach to take of starting with the fundamentals and trying to just get something where it you can expect it to be drinkable and that's honestly what what you try and achieve for every homebrew. But for those trying to get into homebrewing, I'd say you know what, don't be disappointed if your first couple are just not drinkable. That's you're just learning the process. You're learning what works, what doesn't, and it, it's it's a learning curve, right? So we talked about kind of just brewing together and also being married, and you guys working together as well. Uh, what piece of advice would you give to another husband and wife duo looking to get into homebrewing together? Or how would you convince your spouse to join in the hobby if, say, the wife is brewing and the husband isn't or vice versa? Or even, you know, a couple. Or a couple, yeah. It just doesn't have to be husband and wife. True. Significant other. Significant other, sure. Term. Partner, whatever. Yeah. I think a big thing for us was, or maybe it's how I conned him into it too, is I need his strengths with my strengths. So I couldn't do it on my own. And I think, I don't want to say that for you, but I think there's a lot of things that I <laughs> it talk It would be a struggle. <laughs> so I think we talk through a lot of things. So, right, Rob is, he's got the knowledge of it and the chemistry side of it and that mm-hmm. part down and he's really good at that but he can if it gets sidetracked I think it's hard sometimes for Rob to come back around and like calmly assess what's going on on a brew day if needed and so like I kind of step in there and I'm like let's talk through it let's plan through it what's your next step where are we mm-hmm. having these issues and stuff so I think that was the way we really talked about it is like hey this isn't going to be overwhelming for one person or the other because we'll be able to come at it at 
together, which would make it less, I guess, less scary, less overwhelming. You know, like you said, like you might have to dump your first few and that's a scary thing, right? You spend hours doing this and then weeks waiting for it. And then to just go fertilize your lawn with it. Right. So it's like, man, yeah, it, it is daunting, but it, like you said, if you do the fundamentals and you get that, you're going to get a drinkable beer. It's when you start really experimenting and going crazy that you're, you know, kind of tweaking that and getting in that scary area. Yeah, I would say just even making the leap to just go ahead and get that kit. I think you guys brought up a great suggestion on try taking a brewing class or a class together to kind of get your feet into it. And then, you know, you don't have to commit you know, fully to it. I think the hardest thing for me when I started brewing was just feeling like an idiot and just not wanting to walk into a homebrew <laughs> store and ask, um, I know nothing about beer. Where, What beer should I start with? Do, what kind of buckets do I need? Or do I need a hose? Do I need um, a glass? Like, do I need my oven? I mean, it, it's it's a daunting yeah. thing to get started in the, the, pres- the self-pressure of Definitely. feeling, you know, those eyeballs looking at you of, oh my God, they're going to judge me if I I don't know anything. Yeah, um, I, I was going to say that it it's almost like, you know, doing it with your significant other could be romantically, you know, like a cooking class or something. But then I was thinking about the process of actually brewing like all the steam and like just like it's everyone's running every which way. It's like, I don't know how romantic this would be. Attractive. Yeah. Or, or your first brew day of just get the mat, get the grains in the bucket. What yeah. do you mean? Oh yeah, you're running around and you're probably going to start a fight at some point yeah. in those hours. Right? Not very romantic. So, <laughs> oh, no, no. Not at all. And, like, you don't understand, I feel like, when you're first starting the process well enough that you aren't, like, you're panicking the whole time, pretty much. And yep. it's like, okay, you want to rinse out the extra container and make sure you get it all. Oh, my God, I burnt my hand. Oh, my gosh, you go this. Like, oh, the timer's going off. There. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> it all happens to everybody. Yeah. Um, but what Rob and I try to do is if we ever talk to anybody that's interested, we invite them over to do a brew with us. So like, if you ever are interested, you can come brew with us and see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Or we still have old kettles. If you want to borrow them, you can borrow our five, you know, our smaller system and try it out. And yeah, I think so that's, it- that's the best idea because people, I feel like have this very, romanticized view of homebrewing like oh it's going to be this great thing and I'm going to save so much money because I'm not (laughs) going to have to go out and buy beer all the time but you don't realize like how much work actually goes into it and how much time you spend during the day like I remember the first time I was with James and he homebrewed and I was like how are you not done yet like I don't understand it's been like six hours of this process like what is going on? He's like, well, I still have to, it's still on the boil. I still have to clean everything. And I'm like, I thought this was a quick, you know, set it and forget it type thing, but it's not. So people who, you know, think they might be into it, but don't understand how much it actually takes to do it. That's great. You invite them over to watch because then they can really see, okay, this is something I want to look into more or something that I would prefer someone else just make the beer and I drink it when it's ready. So that's a great, I think, I think that happens a lot too, is like people are like, yeah, I want to be a homebrewer. That's cool. And so they go buy everything and then they do it once. And they're like, mm-hmm. I don't have time to, I don't have time to find for that. Like mm-hmm. I don't have that in my schedule to be able to just drop eight hours, six hours here to be able to do that. Right. So. Or they find that it really doesn't save you money. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it costs you money. <laughs> it's an expensive hobby and, and you really have to have the passion for it to do it religiously, I think. Unless you're content just doing the extract kits over the stove and you're just content just making little, you know, five-gallon batches every once in a while. 
Um, I, I think I've definitely gotten a more appreciation for those craft breweries out there and how amazing those brewers and just all p- members of the staff, just from, you know, the brew tenders serving the beer and having that brew knowledge I find is the most important thing at a craft brewery. And I think being a home brewer, it's even enhanced that as well, where I've seen some home brewers when I worked at a craft brewery come in and they analyze the shit out of every beer that you have. And it's like, well, what's your qualification? Well, I, I am a home brewer. Oh, when's the last time you brewed? Ah, 20 years ago. <laughs> and it's like, well, okay, sir. Like, congratulations. I'm glad, I'm glad you did home brewing, but no, it's so true. So true. And you know, it's, it's nice to be able to go in there and appreciate someone else's beer, right? It might not be what I like or what I mm-hmm. drink or what we would make, but you can definitely appreciate the sweat equity into it, right? So it, it is, it, it's so labor intensive and time consuming that, like you said, if you don't have a passion for it, it's just, it's not going to be there. Exactly. Yeah, and I, th- I think, Shannon, that, that romanticized version of what, what homebrewing could be, I think the second brew day that you join me, you're like, there's a lot of standing around and brewing. <laughs> Wait, I have to stand here for an hour well, and watch now, this thing boil? Now I've got, now that we're on a different system, I've got... Right. We've got a new uh, cadence down where yeah. we're multitasking in between. So, yeah. But yeah, I, I, was, I was down there today when we were brewing and I was like, do you have a chair somewhere? Is there <laughs> chairs down here? I was like, why are there no seats? Like, we're just waiting. <laughs> brewing is like the worst. Like, if you're a safety officer or someone at, at work and you have to do an ergonomic assessment, um, I think brewing is probably the least ergonomic friendly. A thing you could possibly be doing but you are standing a lot and if you, if you feel like standing then so but yeah what i was going to say is i think the best feeling in the world was seeing when we came up with that pumpkin beer or even the blonde and we brewed it together and it came out well and we were both enjoying the same beer that we both made together i think that was definitely a memorable moment for me in our home brewing career mm-hmm. And I, I think that's like one of the greatest things to just be able to enjoy something you've made and, and appreciate it. You appreciate it more and especially the ingredients and the stuff that went into it. Yeah, 100% agree. And I, you know, to take that one one step further, for me, it's it's the best feeling in the world. Like when somebody drinks, when somebody drinks your beer that, you know, a friend of yours or a coworker, acquaintance, whatever, and they're like, wow, like this is really good. Like I this is as good as stuff that I buy. Mm-hmm. You know, getting that kind of feedback is just like, I don't want to call it an ego booster, but it just makes you feel good. It definitely makes you realize, oh, it's not just me who who thinks this actually tastes good. Like, this is actually good. <laughs> and you know when they go back for more, when they want more. Because, you know, you have those friends and family members that will drink anything, and they'll just say, yeah, it was great. And then they're really like, yeah, I'm not going to – I'll have the uh, whatever's in the fridge for the next beer. But when they continuously come back to your beer, it, it's – to your point, Rob, it's definitely a, gra- a satisfying feeling when you get that mm-hmm. to that point. Yeah, so- we had our Oktoberfest on tap just recently, and I think we had somebody come back for – I think he came back for five fill, five hollow oh. fills of it, and he just kept oh, coming. Wow. Like we'd give it to him, and he'd bring us back the empty. That like two days later, and we'd fill it again, and he'd bring it back, and it was just it was a cool feeling. Are you selling? Are you like drinking it or selling it on the black market? That's what I would ask him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just shot. He's giving it out to other people, being like, "Yeah, I made this. Have a, have, a, have some of it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, before we wrap up today, we're gonna spring a little game on you. I know we didn't prep you for this game, but just just three quick who 
you got to pick kind of like that. I don't know how many weddings or baby shower or bridal showers that Rob is going to, but you know, the game where you hold up your shoe, like who's the better cook type thing. So, you know, like a little married dating game. So we just had three quick ones. You guys can say who you think applies to this. It applies to the most. So James, do you want to ask the first one? Who makes a better beer? Rob. He's not going to agree with you. He doesn't <laughs> he, he's smart, smart man, <laughs> smart man. You got to say Corinne. I wish this was a video recorded thing. It was just here in headlights. <laughs> <laughs> you can say yourself. You can say yourself, yeah. <laughs> you can say yourself. All right, all right, I'll say myself. Good man. Good <laughs> man, good man. Very brave. <laughs> Who is more critical of your brews? Corinne. Corinne, me, yeah. Okay. And who's the first one to suggest, you know what, let's go to a craft brewery tonight? Me? I think it's me because I always know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that makes sense. He doesn't usually know, like, what are we doing tonight? Oh, no, we can't tonight. We have to do X, Y, and Z. So I'm always the one that knows the calendar. So if there's a free minute away, I'm like, you want to go get beers? (laughs) Great. Yes, uh, I'll agree with that. I, I will say our location is a little rough. The closest uh, craft brew is about a half hour drive in any direction. Wow. So oh, it, wow. it's never a quick thing. No wonder people are coming to get multiple growlers from you. <laughs> You're probably on the, the Google Maps for them, you know, the local <laughs> local first home brewery. Oh, Pratt Brewing. Perfect. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So I would say half and half, but we only asked you three of them. So I guess Corinne's on top of everything. <laughs> okay well we want to just say thank you everyone for listening and special thanks again to rob and corinne from pratt brewing for joining us on this brew shide chat we really appreciate it we had a lot of fun so thank you so much for taking the time awesome thank you guys very very much for the opportunity it was definitely a blast yeah it was a lot of fun We, we appreciate the invite and uh look forward to talking soon yeah you're welcome and you can find Robin Crane on Instagram at Pratt Brewing and on Facebook at Pratt Brewing Co. And if you would like to come on our show just like Robin Corinne did, please shoot us an Instagram message at our Instagram at Double Hotbeat Podcast. And as a small independent podcast, your support means everything to us. So please follow us on our Instagram page and remember to rate and review and subscribe to us on all your podcast platforms that really helps us get out new listeners and homebrewers and this has been double Double hoppy catch Catch you on on the brew side. side